0: This is a podcast about our lived experience, which unfortunately includes infant death and subsequent mental health struggles. Please take good care of yourself and only listen if this content feels safe for you right now. We'll still be here when you're ready.
1: The death of my son, moving three times in six months, my parents' divorce, my husband's job loss. I was, you know, 12 weeks postpartum. My then husband
2: came out to me as transgender and just a couple weeks later um our son suddenly
0: died every time I try to get food for you you won't let me do it I'm like let me order you a Cinnabon and I'm like give me your address and you won't give me your address <laughs> so
1: I, I know and I move every I move all the time so you're never you're stuck
2: hi friends Elena here from the editing room um I have a couple of housekeeping items I want to talk to you guys about before I send you into the episode so First of all, if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you have figured out how to listen to our podcast. But that said, I do just want to let you know that our podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts. We are also available on Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, Spotify, of course, and Anchor. So those are all the places that you can listen to us. Um, And we are so happy that you're listening. Secondly, the audio in this upcoming episode is terrible, mine in particular. I was having a very bad day, and I knew if I had to set up all of the accoutrement to record properly, I would not be able to get get my act together. So I am recording the episode you're about to listen to on my phone with it propped up on my lap, as you'll hear me mention, so apologies for that. Um, and on that note, <clears throat> we actually have some things in the works to hopefully improve uh, our audio going forward i keep saying this to people and everybody i talk to is like we don't care we just want to hear your voices um or even they'll say like we don't hear the bad audio but rest assured i hear the bad audio and, and and it'll get better and better over time we are amateur hour over here guys just figuring it out next this episode as again as we mentioned in the episode i was having a really hard day this is going to be a really hard month for me the month of january um if you're listening to this and you know me and you feel bad for me <laughs> well that's appropriate because it's a hard month um but if you're listening to this and you don't really know me maybe take this as a as an opportunity to send you, someone who's having a hard time in your life some food because i think all of us are struggling you know and i think those unexpected little gifts of of care can can go a long way and then lastly I have to say, Judith and I were fangirling so hard last night because Megan Devine, who wrote, it's okay that you're not okay, reposted an image I posted on our Instagram, and I'm not kidding you guys, we were shrieking with excitement. She is incredible. Her work is so meaningful to both of us, and even though all, all it is, is she reposts people who post pictures of her her work it felt like such a big deal we feel so famous right now so anyway go check that out her instagram is at refuge in grief you can see a picture of miguel my cat (laughs) and my and my grief journal all right guys with that i'm going to send you into the episode we hope you enjoy
0: I'm sitting here with my phone propped up on my pants and under a bl- half under a blanket. So
1: yeah, you, you look you don't look so hot. I think um, I feel like we went from 100 this morning when I spoke to you to like zero in 30 seconds.
0: Yeah, I, I feel I feel horrible. I'm really I'm really struggling to not let myself be like oh I'm going to feel this bad for three weeks. You're not. And to remember that this is just temporary, even though this is the bad month, I'm not going to feel this acutely bad for the whole month.
1: You're not. You're not going to feel this bad for the whole month. And it's going to come in waves because it always does. And you can be 100% confident that this wave will go up and then it will go down. It always does. I don't know. Okay. Okay. I'll check on you in 20 minutes. Okay, but we're talking, right? We're going to record. I know, but I'm just going to say I'm going to check on the status of your food needs in 20 minutes. Okay. Okay, sounds good. That sounds good. Okay. There's never been a time since that first month where it's been continuously unbearable. That's right you're right so we know that this is going to be hard and bad but we also know that this pain will pass and so we just have to get through it we're just going to get through it we're going to grin and bear it yep Yep. and it's just going to be hard one breath at a time one
0: hour at a time
1: one hour let's just go for one minute okay one minute okay i can do that
0: yeah listeners um, we're about to record a regular episode for you, but if I sound a little flat, it's because I've been crying for two hours you're a Hot mess
1: express, hot mess express, Aline. So you know, I think it was meant to be that you were going to be hot mess express because for the first time ever, I have prepared. <laughs> I prepared. I prepared. I have like an outline. I mean, I didn't write it down, but I have an outline in my head. And so I am prepared to keep us organized. So today we're talking about models of grief and like research, research models of grief and how research models, whether or not they resonate with us, whether or not we think there's truth in them. Um, And then I think we should also talk about like models of supporting someone in grief. So there are five that I want to go through today. I think Um, I'm going to share my screen with Alina so she can see the visuals, but we'll upload them to Instagram um, and to the links in our, um, like in the little about section so you can, you know, so anyone else can follow along and see the the visual. So I think we can't start this process of analyzing different models without talking about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the queen of grief. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross says there are five stages of, um integration maybe grief integration um and the thing that i'll say about it is that i that she presents it you know in a linear fashion but i'm pretty sure in her when it's not being visually presented that people say you can go between these five stages it's not in order these are like you can go from one to another what are the five stages so the first one is denial the second one is anger, the third is bargaining, the fourth is depression, and the fifth is acceptance. So what are your immediate gut thoughts when you see the five stages? I think I've experienced all five of those
0: things. No question. Um, Denial, for sure. Like, I think in the beginning, especially, that one does feel like it's an earlier thing for me like i do feel like in the beginning my body and my mind like just did not accept that he was gone like i kept forgetting um each of the other ones i do feel like i've experienced throughout the process but certainly not in a linear fashion i was just kind of like all over the place
1: you know the good thing about bargaining that i've found is just how completely nonsensical it is like Uh i know that my son is dead and i will continue to like plead for you know an hour longer but like, he's already dead. But my yeah, subconscious doesn't know, my subconscious is continuing to learn how to accept it. My therapist says that it's not, you'll never accept it, but you'll learn how to accommodate it. Like it mm-hmm. will always be there, but you're never going to quite accept it. Um, I don't like the stages of grief at all. And I think the reason I have such a negative, you know, attitude towards them is to just think, that she's missing 25 million other stages. I could also pick five stages, you know, like, sure. But if there's 40 billion stages and you just pick five, well, yeah. that feels I stupid.
0: I agree. I agree. Grief is so much more than just those five things. Grief is a million different things.
1: Grief is a million different things. And sure, I feel angry sometimes, or I feel, you know, shocked sometimes, but I equally feel... Exhaustion. Why isn't exhaustion on her stage of grief? Fusion. Where is yeah. confusion? Oh, well, it says confusion is, under is shock and denial. What? what? About like isolation and feeling lonely, loss of identity. Right. And what about reintegration into community and society? Like, I don't think that, like, where does that fit into a stage of grief? You know, like, I think she just picked five. But you could have easily picked five other ones and they would have been just as true.
0: Yeah, agreed.
1: So that's why I disagree with it. I also think that you can feel many of these stages all at once. You know, Mm -hmm. like I feel angry and I feel depressed at the exact same time. So it's like, they're not really stages. Again, these are just like five feelings. Okay, well, Mm -hmm. to me, that's not very impressive, Elizabeth. But I don't know if it's different if you are the one dying and you have to accept your death and that was what I read somewhere that we are completely misunderstanding our stages. I don't know if anyone in our audience has more familiarity. I'd love to hear if that is a more realistic experience than the way they present to us in grief. Um, And I also think that there are days where I completely accept it. And then there are days where I go back and then I'm in denial again. So I I think I live in both worlds and it's impossible to just say, um, it's this stage. So I don't like it. On a scale of one to 10, if I had to give it a grade, I'd give it a C. What would you give it?
0: I would also give it a C because I think it's not wrong, but it's also not
1: right. Okay. Excellent. I agree. So we're not going to preach this one, but there is another one that I really enjoy that I want to show you. It's called the Tonkin model of grief. Have uh-huh. you heard it? Tonkin? Hold no. On. So, Tonkin, this is the best way I've seen it. Imagine that there is a ball in a jar. And in the beginning, he says that people assume that with time, the ball gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, But he says what actually happens is the ball stays the same, but we as people grow bigger and bigger and bigger so the ball doesn't feel as big. Right.
0: Right. So the grief, in other words, the assumption commonly would be that the grief is going to get smaller over time. But in fact, his model suggests that the grief remains the same size, but that we grow bigger to accommodate the grief.
1: Right. How do you feel about that? And I think it could be confusing to somebody who's not grieving what that means to accommodate the grief. And I think the best way to think about it is, is if you had like a physical ailment like diabetes in the beginning, it might feel like you're spending, you know, all your days measuring your blood sugars. You might spend all your days, you know, monitoring your health and your behavior or dieting and whatever. And it kind of consumes every minute of your brain, but then that's kind of how it is about grief. But then with time, it just becomes one thing that you do in a million other things that you do that day. So you brush your teeth, you monitor your blood sugars, maybe you, you know, whatever it is, you pack a candy in case you're hungry later and you need to increase your blood sugars. So same thing. Like I'll wake up in the morning, I'll brush my teeth. I'll feel sad. Maybe I'll feel angry. Maybe I'll ask myself, you know, what would have happened if Adam was here? Maybe I'll ask myself like, okay, I have a client meeting today. Will it come up? What important dates do I have? And then I'll continue about my day, but it won't be Like, all day long, I'm thinking about the loss. Right.
0: Honestly, like, this is kind of making me think, like, it's almost like we're, although you don't eat shellfish, but (laughs) it's almost like we're oysters and the loss is a piece of sand. And we're, like, building around that piece of sand and turning it into a pearl. Like. That,
1: okay, so that is a beautiful way to say it, and it actually reminds me of the other model that I want to discuss, okay. and I have not seen a professional name for this one, I just saw a TikTok about it, so we're going mm-hmm. to call it like the rainbow theory, mm-hmm. Um, and in the rainbow theory, they say, okay, imagine your loss is this black hole, let's say this black hole is, you know, one foot by one foot, whatever it is, Every happy memory and every positive experience you have after the loss is a ring that goes around the black hole. The first layer is red, the next is orange. You know, as life goes on, the grief ball stays the exact same size, but your world of positivity, of joy, of growth keeps adding rings, keeps adding rings, keeps adding rings. So when you look at it, it no longer looks like just the big black hole, it looks like a rainbow with a little hole inside of it. Right. And maybe you do have some black rings too. Maybe you have some
0: experiences in the rings also, but overall the picture is not all black.
1: So do you agree with that idea? Like where would you put the Tompkin ones about us growing around our grief? And where would you put the rainbow theory if you had to give them a grade?
0: Um, Tompkin, this is the jar, the jar one. Um, that one, I don't know. The visualization I think is I, I think the the idea behind it is sound, like maybe a B minus, but the visualization is not particularly meaningful to me. The rainbow one, I almost feel like they're the same they're the same thing, but the rainbow has a more um meaningful um visualization. So I'm gonna give that a B and then I'm gonna give Tomkin a B minus.
1: I'm gonna agree with you. And I the problem that I have with Tompkin is that The fact that you grow around your grief, I mean, some people don't grieve after loss. Yeah. So some people, I mean, some people don't grow, that's what I meant, after loss. Like some people kind of get stuck. So I don't necessarily think that over time you necessarily grow around your grief. I think that if you work on your grief and if you make it a manageable like manageable and not so overwhelming, then yes, you'll be able to have a bigger jar and the ball will stay the same size. But I don't think it's just with time. And that's what I feel is frustrating about the grieving world. People say time, you know, the only thing you can do is like wait, but it's actually not just like time. It has to be like productive time. It has to be like growing time. It has to be like active grieving and learning time because I actually don't think that it's just time. Yeah, that's right.
0: I I do think, like, I think if you're, especially if you are avoiding your grief, you could go an indefinite amount of time without really getting through any of the grief. If you're avoiding it and not really facing it head on, like, I don't think time really does anything in and of itself unless you're actually grieving during that time.
1: And you're learning coping skills. Yeah. Healthy coping skills. Healthy coping skills. Yeah. I I follow this person on TikTok who said, like, I was just waiting for time to pass because everybody told me that time makes it better. So she was like, waiting for time to pass. But the reality is it's not just time. It's like work time. Correct. So then I want to talk about the fourth model, which I'm going to call the ball in the box. This is, in my opinion, the truest. Yes.
0: I don't even need to see it. I know which one you're talking about and it's Perfect.
1: I think it's perfect. I would give this an A++. Yes. Okay. I'm going to read it too. It says the ball and the box. There's a box and a ball and a button, and the button is the pain button. Okay? Yeah. Imagine a button off on the side of the wall. And it says in the beginning, the ball is huge. You can't move the box without hitting the pain button. It hits the button over and over and over. You just can't control it. It keeps hurting. So the box, the ball is the grief, and the ball of grief is so big, it just keeps hitting that pain button but over time and we'll say over you know productive grief time that ball gets smaller and it hits the pain button less and less it keeps bouncing around the little box but it doesn't always hit that pain button when it does hit that pain button it hurts just as much you can't function on in those moments but in general the ball is able to go in other directions without hitting that button directly I think that that is very true. Yeah.
0: And I will say, I'll say right now, like, I feel like the last couple hours, as I mentioned, like, I have been very upset. I think my grief button was hit for whatever reason. It just got triggered by something. And it felt like, like, I literally collapsed to the floor of my kitchen and was crying. Yeah. Because I was so overcome with emotion. And it's an hour before that, I was feeling completely fine. I was bouncing around the box, not hitting the pain button at all. Everything was a-okay. And then something happened. I hit the pain button and then I was debilitated again, just like I was a year ago,
1: 11 months ago. Yeah. Yeah. With time, those waves of grief and hitting the pain button um, are less frequent and less intense. And these episodes last for shorter periods of time. I think that's true. Yesterday I was going through Aiden's um, belongings to separate what we would use for the the future baby and what we wanted to keep for just his. And I think six months ago or seven months ago, that would have set me in bed for all day. And I think now I was definitely sobbing, but I was sobbing for 45 minutes, you know, not all day. Yeah. Good job with that. Yeah. It was hard, but I think, She's right, and I suspect that there will come a time maybe in three or four years where on the anniversary of his death I cry, or when I see a baby that was exactly his age I'll cry, but I don't think it's going to be the same, um, the same type of pain all the time. Right. Yeah. So then the last model that I want to talk about, okay, this is called the ring theory. Okay. It's called The Ring Theory, and it's how you can support somebody who is in trauma or grieving. So this isn't exactly a model of grief, but this is another model you'll hear a lot of when you're in grieving. Um, The day Aiden died, my best friend came over to the house, and she printed a copy of this and put it on the refrigerator as a reminder to my family of what it looks like. So I'm going to describe it to you. And um, and we'll talk about whether or not we think that this is helpful or not. And we'll give it a rating. So um, the person who is in crisis is in the center of the bullseye. And then there are concentric circles around that bullseye. The first circle is the person who's suffering's immediate family. One circle out is one degree further away from the crisis. That's their close friends. One circle out from that is your other friends and family, like distant cousins. A one circle out is your colleagues. And the last circle out is your acquaintances, people you barely really know. And the way it works is that the person who is in the middle can dump out their feelings, their grief, their frustration, their anger, whatever it is, into any of the people in any of the circles. But primarily the one, one immediately next to theirs. So their immediate family, let's say. And they can dump out anyway but the people who are providing comfort provide comfort for one circle in so the immediate family can dump out to their to close friends the close friends can dump out to rant, you know murder further out friends further out friends can dump out to colleagues but then the and the reverse: the acquaintances comfort the colleagues, the colleagues comfort the friends, the friends comfort the close friends, the close friends comfort the family, and the family com- um, comforts the person who's in crisis. I think that this is incredibly helpful. What do you think? To me, I would give this like a B plus, A minus.
0: I think this is I think this is an extremely useful framework because when you are the one who's in crisis, you have to know who you can go to for support or sorry, I guess I should say, you know, there are many people. Okay. So you and I lost sons, right? There are many people who are also grieving the loss of our sons. Like my family is also grieving their nephew and grandson. Um, you know, my friends are grieving this baby that they, some of them never even met because, you know, I'm their friend and they, 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 Loved Quinn for who he was as my son. Um, my coworkers, I'm sure, are traumatized by the idea that somebody in their orbit had a baby die. But the key is I can reach out to anybody for support because I'm at the epicenter of this, right? But I, my parents can't reach out to me for support. They can reach out to their next ring out for support. And I think it's so good to have a framework for that because it gets confusing.
1: It gets confusing. It gets confusing. It gets confusing because everyone's in pain and everyone's hurting. That's right. Yeah. The
0: only thing I will say about it is because the the nature of our loss is so traumatic, I am hyper aware of the fact that I can't dump everything in my brain on people. It's not fair to them. I have stuff in my brain that is too much for the average human to bear,
1: (laughs) Uh, truly. And that needs to go to my therapist. (laughs) I agree. And I would actually add to that, like, I think that this model over time changes. Like, it almost feels like at some point those outer rings drop off and disappear. Yeah. It's like if you start with six layers of rings, by a year in, you're down to three layers. And as there are fewer layers and time goes on... I think it starts to wear on those people who are getting dumped on all the time. Yeah. I, I I think that this model is really good for the immediate aftermath, but the truth is support sometimes feels limited as other people go through their own crises and their own life in time. You know, like I have friends that are dealing with their own shit and I, it's not that I can't turn to them. But I have found that their support, their ability to support has lessened with time. Yeah. makes sense? Yep. And the makes problem sense. is that I, even though I'm at much better spot than I was, I still have so many needs. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's true. And I think it's really hard because now I'm almost a year out and it's like, I kind of want to flag, like wave a flag and be like, wait, I still need you. You can't leave. I, I need help. I need help. You know? I might not be asking, I might not look like it as much. I may not be asking as much, but I still need to know that you're still there as a ring for me to turn to. And I sometimes feel like the longer it is, the less I feel comfortable doing that.
0: I completely agree. Honestly, like that's why I'm so sad right now today. That's one of the reasons I'm so sad today is because I feel like obviously like this month, I think people are aware that I'm going to be struggling, but I do also feel like, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I don't have any food in my house. I don't know what I'm going to feed myself. Like, who do I ask to feed me? Like, it's been so long. Like, there's no like meal train. There's no like, you know, like there's no framework for, for helping me at this point in the loss. So I'm just like struggling
1: to figure out who to ask for help. Like, who is appropriate for me to ask for help? Yeah. And it's like, I think the first five times you feel comfortable asking the same people, you know, but like by time 20, it's like, who can I possibly ask again to send me dinner? I feel selfish and I feel selfish because I have not been able to return the favor. Like it's not like yeah. I have been able to give them meals because I've been so disabled this year that it's like the last time I sent them meal was three years ago and they send me meals. What feels like all the time. So yeah. it kind of like, it gets muddled. And I think that that's, where the breakdown happens. Like, I think that everyone shows up in the beginning, but then slowly, but surely you're like, how many times can I lean on the same five people? And then you say to yourself, well, those are the only people that are still there. That's right. Yeah.
0: So I don't know know what to do. I know.
1: One other thing I'm thinking about is like, when we move and we have an all new community and people don't know, like, it's like, I, but I'm still going to need help. So who's going to, if no one knows, like, who's going to know that I need help in March? They might not know. And then I'm going to be alone and I need help.
0: Yeah. Honestly, like, it sucks.
1: Yeah. It sucks being on the receiving end. And it, and I think... I suspect that people with physical disabilities feel the same way. That's my guess, that people with physical disabilities, like if they get hurt or they get, you know, they have cancer, they get in an accident, they have long-term pain. In the beginning, everyone shows up, but with time, it's like how many times can I ask this person to join me in a doctor appointment? Right, that's right. People's generosity wears thin.
0: And I think even if you're listening to this and, like, you're supporting a grieving person, I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, like, I would still be happy to do all that stuff, but, like, it does feel really icky to ask. <laughs> yeah. It feels icky it, to ask. Really just I I think honestly, like I think it's hard for anybody, but I am somebody who's very who prides herself on being very self sufficient and competent. And so it feels really awful to be vulnerable, to have to be vulnerable enough to ask people to help me feed yeah. myself.
1: <laughs> and I <laughs> also think like even between lost parents, like someone would say, Well, Lena, you know, why don't you just ask shoot it? Yeah, And I would say, and I know my friends would be like, why don't you just ask Alina? I mean, no, I don't think they'd beat it in a mean way. But I think that that's people's questions. Like, if you know one another needs it, and I think the challenge with that is that, like, we are, I'm already dealing with my own, it's like, I don't have the bandwidth. That's right. Yeah. To think it all through. Like, I don't have the bandwidth to be like, oh, I mean, I know Quinn's birthday's coming up. I know your birthday, I mean, Quinn's um, angel is coming up. and I know your birthday's coming up. And like I know that I need to. I just it's like my brain can't. But you, you're also like moving
0: across the country in two weeks, yeah.
1: three weeks, like yes. <laughs> I th- I think it's just it's just complicated. We need. I think we just like need to hire staff. We need staff. For- Do I seem out of it? Because I feel out of it. You're very out of it, but I'm also out of it because I had three hours of sleep. We probably sound delusional and really unhelpful to anyone right now. <laughs> because I'm on three hours of sleep and you are hot mess express. So together <laughs> we're like a stew of shit.
0: All right. I think we should just wrap it up here. We'll just see what I'm, I'm able to wrap do it up.
1: I texted Leah. Why? My Leah? Yes. Yes. What and am she think? could bring food later this week i said i'll take care of food today can you drop off food at some point this week i'm sure she'll say sure i'm sure she's gonna say sure and i'm sure she's gonna be so glad that i asked her it's really hard to have people take care of me i know it's really hard you know what though i i love being able to take care of you okay it makes me feel so good to be able to do something and it costs me $0 because you Venmo me, so it doesn't even matter. <laughs> it's like 10 minutes. And I order the same thing for you every time. <laughs> I love it. And I just order the exact same thing every time. It's so easy. I literally click three buttons, and I'm done. <laughs> it's already, like, programmed into my computer. <laughs> Look.
2: <laughs> I go to see my
1: All of a sudden, it's like, oh, you want Indian food? You want Thai food? <laughs> I'm gonna order for you but now. You're gonna watch me do it. It takes two seconds. It's so easy. It's such a pleasure to do.
0: Every time I try to get food for you, you won't let me do it.
1: Because I because because my friend Miriam likes to do it. Okay.
0: I, I'll say to you, I'm like, let me order you a Cinnabon. And I'm like, give me your address and you won't give me your address.
1: So I, I know can't. and I move every I move all the time. So you're never you're stuck. I'm on it. Don't worry, Lena. I got this. Okay, I'm going to do this for you right now. It'll be there and it says 40 minutes.
0: Okay. And then we're going <laughs> to sign off and I'm going to try to edit together a podcast episode.
1: Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> to all of our wonderful new friends, we want to hear from you. Email us at aslongasimlivingpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at aslongasimlivingpodcast. We'll get back to you as soon as our grieving brains allow. Yay!